0: What's up, everyone? This is episode number 55 of the Wax Museum Podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and I want to remind everyone that the Wax Museum Podcast is a proud member of the Bench Clear Media Network. I encourage you guys to check out some of their content, especially those of you that are working from home right now, and also give them a follow on social media if you haven't already. As always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media, uh, especially quite a bit right now. My Instagram is Podcast. My Twitter is @waxmuseumpc. Um So over the last couple of weeks, I've done my best to take you guys on a trip through basketball card history. And I originally planned on doing that in just one episode. It ended up taking me three, but I didn't want to cut anything out. So episode one took us all the way to 2003. Episode 2 took us to 2012, and then today's episode should bring us to the current 2019-2020 season. And I'm not going to go too deep into the current season, because that chapter is far from over. As many of you know, I mean everyone should know by now, the NBA season has been suspended as a result of the coronavirus. Some of you have asked me to weigh in on that. Look, I'm not any, first off, I'm not any sort of medical expert. So I can't weigh in on that side. I'm not going to try to. Um, As far as the cardboard goes, you know, I really don't have a lot to say right now. Um, For next week's episode, I plan on bringing in uh, Justin, AKA 610 Sports Cards from Instagram. And we'll talk a little bit about this whole thing. And uh, we'll try to brainstorm ways that you can enjoy the hobby during this time. Uh, there are a lot of important people talking about this thing, and you should listen to what they have to say and weigh their advice carefully. There's a lot of really good articles, a lot of really good information. Just keep in mind, we haven't seen something quite like this before, so you know no one's going to know for sure what's going to happen. Um, but I, I think that some of you are ready for a little bit of a break from hearing about this and talking about this and, and you know living through this whole thing. Um, I don't want to downplay what's happening at all, but I do want to try and give you a little reprieve, even if this can only distract you for 45 minutes or an hour. So I'm ready to pick back up on my History of Basketball Card series. Last week, as I mentioned, I ended things at 2012. I did that for several reasons. First off, I feel like Panini hasn't really established themselves in the basketball card world prior to that, despite having the license for a couple of years. And then secondly, this was a landmark year in the hobby, and I wanted to make sure it got the attention it deserved. I'll talk more about why it was a landmark year as I go, but the first reason I teased in my last episode. The lockout from the previous season prevented us from getting rookie cards for the 2011 draft picks. Instead, they chose to include them in the 2012-2013 sets as part of a double rookie class. Alright, so before the season officially started, the NBA and Panini announced that they had renewed their licensing deal together, and they didn't give the exact terms, but other sources noted that it was a five-year deal, so somehow people still found out about it. And um, the NBA, you know, it seemed like they were happy with the way everything was being handled, especially if they're renewing for five years. So, um, coming off of the lockout-shortened card season... 2012 had more than three times the number of releases of the previous season with a lot of them being new products and it seems like the lockout really gave Panini a chance to find their footing and that all started with hoops in August of 2012 and that that seems unheard of now that we were that we get it in August because now we're used to seeing it in November but keep in mind they had had some time to prepare for this and this was a simple set it included coaches it was easy to find. There weren't a million posts asking if we should grade our Anthony Davis rookies. Um, that's not a knock on anyone. That's just the way things were right then. Um, you know, I guess you could say they were simpler times, right? Well, then in November, we got a new shiny set called Prism. And Panini had been working on some type of chromium cards for a while before this. In February of 2012, they had a product review uh, preview for their limited baseball set that plan to include Chromium autographs. And um, Paul Lesko covered this in one of his Law of Cards articles, but it was around this time that Panini filed trademark applications for both Chromium and Panini Chromium. So this led some people to speculate that their basketball product was originally supposed to be called Panini Chromium as well, but we don't really know. Um, anyway, this led to a legal battle with Tops, who wasn't happy with that name at all, and Panini eventually settled for the Prism name. Well, Leaf had an issue with that and claimed it was too close to their Prismatic brand, but eventually all the companies worked things out uh, for a very short time at least. Panini and Leaf had quite a few legal battles in 2013. I'll refer to another one of those in a little bit, um, but let's talk about the product itself. So this was a time in my life when I was opening more hobby wax than I ever had before. Uh, That doesn't mean I was opening hobby boxes on end, just maybe a box or two every month. And the main reason for this is because I finally live close to a good card shop. So shout out to AAA Collectibles in North Carolina. Um, The owners of this shop are awesome people. I think I've mentioned them on the show before, but their names are Bob and Linda. And whenever they seemed excited about a product, I trusted them. And I tried to open a little if I could at the time. So I go in one day and um, Bob tells me about a new product called Prism. And and I didn't keep up with sell sheets and a lot of the stuff as close as I do now. So a lot of the news, um, I enjoyed getting it more firsthand from people instead of just finding it online. So um, he tells me about Prism. I was hoping for some numbered cards at the time, but there really weren't that many that you could get. Um, when, when this product debuted, in fact, the gold parallels were the only numbered cards. So, anyway, I opened one box, um, I still have my one auto, I, I remember one auto, but even though I think you're supposed to get two, I got a Thomas Robinson auto, and I thought he was pretty good, so I kept it, which I was wrong, um, but I've always been a pretty big memorabilia guy, so there wasn't much in this product for me at the time. My other hit was a refractor-like card of Kevin Garnett, and we called them refractors, even though the the phrase is trademarked by Tops. but they were technically called prisms. And it was only later that we found out um, that less than 200 of these were produced for every player in 2012. They weren't a big deal at the time, though, and and I think um, Bob said to me, you know, I have another customer that's trying to collect the refractor set, he'll trade you 10 base cards uh, for any of them that you pull. So that sounded like a good deal to me at the time. Um, I didn't really have any big plans for that Garnet card. Now I wonder if that customer ever finished that set. But, um, anyway, all of that is to show that there wasn't any mass hysteria around the set. You know, we hadn't really established what the big hits were going to be and what we liked and what we didn't. Uh, it was new. People weren't camping out displays or punching old ladies to get their hands on this stuff. Um, I liked the set overall, but I didn't really purchase much more because I liked getting cards signed at, at the time, Bobcats games, and Prism was too glossy and some of the signatures smeared on me. Well, if only I had a time machine. Um, As the season progressed, we saw a lot of nice brands, many of them new, hit the shelves. Um, That includes Brilliance, Crusade, Gold Standard, uh, Marquee. All of these have either been discontinued or crammed into into another product like Chronicles since then. Um, In April, we got a second new Chromium product from Panini called Select, and I remember each hobby box contained two mini boxes. I thought it was kind of pricey. I want to say it was something like $160 for a box, Um, so I ended up going with a mini box for half of that, which now that price seems completely reasonable, but that goes to show how much things have changed. And I wasn't super impressed with with the results. But once again, it was a nice little product. It's hard to evaluate a product with just one mini box. But um, it definitely wasn't as popular as it is now. Um, And then in the midst of all these releases, there was one major omission that people weren't happy about. And I talked about this on the show not too long ago. I think it was episode 49, uh, but I'll run through it again. And that was the sixth pick of the NBA draft, Damian Lillard. He was off to a great start. Um, He ended up being the unanimous rookie of the year, but he didn't have any licensed NBA autograph or memorabilia cards. Well, that was primarily because in December of 2012, Leaf signed an exclusive with Lillard that stated that they would be the only company offering autographed Lillard cards and signed memorabilia. So you could get Lillard autographs still, but people wanted him on all this new Panini stuff that was coming out so much so that Leaf was actually taking some of their signed stickers and applying them to base prism and select rookies, slabbing them, and featuring them as hits in their 2012-2013 Best of Basketball product. Um, All right, so as I mentioned earlier, Panini and Leaf had a, a number of legal battles that year, and at the end of the whole thing, Leaf paid part of their debt to Panini in the form of Lillard autographs. So there was a lot of weird stuff going on. Um, He was still labeled as a Leaf exclusive, but his autographs were slated to appear in Innovation, Intrigue, Immaculate, and then Flawless, which at the time was a product that hadn't been announced yet. So the big question, though, was how would these autographs be released for the sets that had already come out? And Panini ended up creating a wrapper redemption program where collectors had to accumulate points or UPC codes that were assigned to other 2012-2013 basketball products, and they could send them to Panini. Um, All of that transpired over the course of the 2013 calendar year. I don't think the uh, the program was even announced until November of 2013, which placed it in the next year, but I'm not going to split this whole Lillard saga up over different parts of the episode. Um, one of the big cards that these packs featured included the Lillard National Treasures RPAs, although Panini screwed them up uh, over the years. The orientation of the true RPA, quote-unquote, the one that collectors prefer, it changed from time to time. 2009 was horizontal. 2010 was vertical. 2012 was horizontal as well. Um, and everyone that was included in the original product, their RPAs were numbered to 199. Well, the Lillard packs had horizontal copies numbered to five and the vertical copies numbered to 99. So it was a little bit different than it was supposed to be. Um, The regular National Treasures product then um, that did not include the Lillard stuff came out in late July and Anthony Davis and Kyrie Irving were real big hits at the time. There were other popular players Kawhi wasn't necessarily a scrub, but he also wasn't regarded on the same level as those two guys. He wasn't as important then. And not only that, his cards were redemptions that were first available to be redeemed at the 2013 Nationals. So some of those were redeemed in person. Uh, In September, we got a product called Innovation. This is September of 2013. Um, I talked about that a little in my Panini Insert episode with Evan not too long ago. I wish I had paid more attention to the product then. I definitely came to respect it more as time passed. Um, As the title suggests, there were a lot of cards that were innovative for Panini. We had game-dated materials in the Statline Relic Set, there were laser cut inserts, I believe there were some die cuts, just some really cool stuff all around. Um, As we look forward to the new season, there were still two new high-end products to go. That's Flawless and Immaculate. So these two products weren't around in basketball before then. And then it's crazy to think about it, but these products, I believe, were released just three weeks apart, and both came out around the start of the 2013-2014 season. This gave Panini ample time to get game-worn stuff in these products. Um, I've noticed that the rookies from the first year of the double class, like Kyrie, for example, are more likely to have game-worn stuff. Um, which is pretty cool. Panini could have thrown a bunch of photo shoot stuff in for them, but they didn't. Um, Immaculate then came after that, which is another groundbreaking product that featured inscribed logo men, jumbo draft hats, hat tags, hat buttons, insignias, numbers, team logos, uh, nameplate nobility. Um, The jumbo number set was a mix of 100 rookies and veterans. There were all sorts of RPAs. There were logo men booklets, which featured six different logo men in them. And then one really nice thing about the rookie patches in the first year of Immaculate is that they matched the patches that were supposed to be on the game jerseys. Meaning, even though they used photo shoot jerseys for some of these players, Damian Lillard wears zero and the photo shoot jersey actually had a zero on it. Clay wears 11, his card had chopped up number ones. In the years and the releases that followed, you know, we don't always get that. Some of the rookie numbers have started to look a little bit suspicious. You know, Shabazz Muhammad, right? He wears number, or he wore number 15. Well, why does this card have an eight patch on it? Cody Zeller's number 40. Why is there a big part of the number three on this card? Well, the answer is that they were giving a player the number 88 or the number 33, and then they're wearing these giant jerseys like 5X or 6X. We know this because the tags end up in the products too. Uh, Now, if you're in Panini's position, this makes sense, it's a logistics issue, Um, and that's how a lot of product decisions end up being made, and we saw that over the course of time is, um, you know, they had to make more logistics decisions as time went on. Uh, One more note on player-worn patches before I move on, most of the rookie stuff from the last decade is player-worn, and that's understandable. We do get some game-worn stuff for rookies in one or two of the high-end products at the end of the year. I do want to say this, though. Kudos to Panini for keeping the veteran and the retired player stuff game-worn. They've taken a lot of flack for their football releases because they have current veterans with player-worn stuff. right? I know like before Andrew Luck retired, we were still getting Andrew Luck player-worn patches. He was a rookie in 2012. But they've avoided this so far with basketball. And if you'll remember in last year's National Treasures episode, I was a little worried that they were running out of Kobe premium patches. You know, they were running out of warm-ups or jerseys or whatever. And that they might go the player-worn route with him since he was a spokesman. That was just speculation on my part. Obviously, it's not going to happen now. But um, anyway, I I hope they're able to keep the veteran relics game worn for basketball. And they've done a good job with that so far. Um, Another quick note Before I move on to the 2013 year, uh, which I promise will not have as much coverage as this year. It's just this first year was so important, this 2012 year. Um, Group breaking at this time, it had already been around for a while. You can go back, you can see, um, you know, there's a lot of 2009 National Treasures that was group breaking stuff on YouTube. Um, There were some other products as well. But the 2012-2013 season was a pretty big year that moved things forward on that front. Um, and it's just a number of factors. When you combine the double rookie class, um, there were now more breaker-friendly high-end products, and then also the advances in technology. Uh, it all came together to help make that possible. You know, Think about it. Streaming or even recording was much easier in 2012 than it had, than it had been the decade before. I remember shooting a few box breaks in the 2000s on my digital camera, right? Like you would go and take pictures with. Um, A part of me wants to see that footage again, but I don't think it even exists anymore. I'm sure the quality was horrible. Okay, anyway, moving on with 2013, it was going to be hard to follow up such an epic year in the hobby, especially with the dud rookie class that we were left with in 2013. People are chomping at the bit to get these 2013 boxes now because of Giannis, but things weren't always so good. You had the number one pick in Anthony Bennett, who at the time, even at the time, left people scratching their heads. Why was this guy picked number one? Um, You had Victor Oladipo at number two. He wasn't a great option at the time either. Um, One rookie that stood out early on was the 11th pick and eventual rookie of the year, Michael Carter-Williams which now that seems funny to think about. But uh, he made a really good first impression because the 76ers opened the season on national TV against LeBron and the Heat. Um, He had a strong showing. People got really excited. Giannis was the 15th pick that year. And while there were some people that were sort of prospecting him at the time, the appeal wasn't anything close to what it is now. Some people have gone back and said he looked like an obvious pick, but you know I never felt that way. And then remember, there were 14 picks before Milwaukee, so apparently a lot of other teams didn't think so either. Um, I don't really have a lot more to say about 2013 in the hobby, because I want to keep this thing moving. On top of the, the rough rookie class, I thought the National Treasures RPAs were boring that year. Um, And just in general, I remember a lot of the lower end stuff ended up on Blowout's Black Friday sales until Giannis really emerged. Um, So then let's just move into 2014. It looked to be a little more promising with the draft class led by Andrew Wiggins. Um, It also looked like he might get to play with LeBron for a short while, which was exciting, but he was traded to Minnesota two months after he was drafted. This is why you might see some early rookie relics of his that have um, some of the maroon pieces from the the Cavs jersey. Uh, one little funny note about Wiggins cards. You know, think about how disappointing it is when you open a product this year and you see that Pelicans logo, right? You're Zion hunting, but it ends up being Jackson Hayes. Well, when you open cards toward the beginning of the 2014-2015 series. You could pull rookie cards of Glenn Robinson III, who not only had a T-Wolves jersey on, but also wore the same number as Wiggins, number 22. So that was always fun. Um, But just know that, speaking of Wiggins, the Wiggins hype was for real. Um, People were really excited about this guy, so much so that Panini included some of his autographs in their 2015 Immaculate Baseball product to try and help move it. Yes, you heard that right. They put him in a baseball product. Um, Another guy that got thrown in that product was Jabari Parker, which, you know, he's completely irrelevant in the NBA now, but he had a bit of a hobby following at the time. I know he's had some injuries, so I I don't want, I'm not trying to pick on Jabari Parker. Um, Joel Embiid was the third pick. He was in that baseball product too. There were major concerns about his health though. His prices were low for a long time because he just couldn't stay on the court. And come to think of it, there are still people investing in him to this day. I'm not here to give you investment advice, but yikes. You know, I think it'd be nice to see the guy invest in himself first. You're an NBA player. Get in shape. Anyway, uh, the season started off with hoops and also the introduction of Panini points and the Panini reward store. So this was a huge event in the hobby, at least on the modern side. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion on points. I'm not a fan of them, but the initial press release claimed that points give the collector more control to select the card they want based on inventory available in the Panini Rewards inventory. So in theory, it's not a horrible idea. Um, But now that we've seen it play out over time and we've seen it for a while, we know that the inventory isn't any good. Or if they have decent cards, they're overpriced. And then you have to pay to ship the card that Panini failed to pack out in the first place. So I covered this in more in episode six, which was about Panini's redemption lawsuit. Make sure to check that out more if you haven't already. Okay, as far as products go though for this year, for 2014-2015, we had a trio of Target exclusives in Threads, Excalibur, and Prestige. Um, We might see retail exclusives from time to time now, but I doubt we'll ever see three products restricted to one retailer like that again Um, I also want to note that Upper Deck lost their college license somewhere around this time frame and while they weren't producing NBA cards you could still get some Jordan and LeBron autos for a while Um, if they wanted to keep making those autos from here on out they had to get really creative um, or collectors would have to settle for cards of these guys wearing hoodies or polos which is what happened Um, all right but back to the NBA stuff though Of course, we had some of the staples in PRISM and National Treasures, uh, but the 2014-2015 product I really want to talk about actually showed up a couple of months into the 15-16 season. And that was Panini Eminence, a $6,000 per box product that took the phrase high end to a completely different level. And when this was first announced, it was received in a similar fashion as the first year of Exquisite. People ask, why do we need this? Um, But the product itself, every card was numbered to 10 or less and included either an autograph, a piece of precious metal, or both. Um, The cut autograph lineup was pretty ridiculous and included a lot of non-basketball personalities like um, Jackie Robinson, JFK, Elvis, Houdini, Abraham Lincoln, Walt Disney. I think there was a Wright Brothers dual cut And there's no denying that these cards are beautiful. A lot of people felt the cost wasn't justified or worth it. And some people, though, really enjoyed the set. And those of you that have listened to some of the older episodes, you might remember me talking with Adam. I know he really enjoyed the set. I remember watching a video of him and a friend opening a box together. I would say it's at least worth checking out. Um, Even if you can't find their video, finding a video on YouTube and live vicariously through those people. um, It costs those people thousands of dollars. It costs you nothing to watch on YouTube. Okay, so at least kind of uh, look at the product to see what people were, were buying into at the time. All right, so that was Eminence. And as I stated earlier, that was a 2014 product that came out several months into the 2015 season. Uh, for 2015-2016, Carl anthony Towns was the number one pick. He was a big deal in the hobby as well. He had D'Angelo Russell at two. Um, it wasn't long before Porzingis was a really big deal as well. And as a little side note, my favorite Porzingis moment from that season was when Panini packed his Immaculate Logo Man auto out and put it in flaw- in a flawless box and then they had his flawless Logoman auto that they ended up accidentally putting in an Immaculate box, which that was a pretty big goof on their part. Um, you know, there was a, a short time period where people were wondering, you know, is this what what's going on? And Panini just themselves released a state and like, hey, we messed that up pretty bad. I know that's not word for word what they said, but that's the gist of it. Um, another 2015 rookie that's popular now is Jokic. But I don't remember anyone pursuing his stuff super hard at the time. Obviously, things have changed. Um, you know, In the last year, I've seen another content creator try to predict Silver Prism print runs by looking at the pop reports for Jokic just because he's popular now. Well, that's not really an accurate method. And anyway, we've seen collectors reverse engineer those print runs. His numbers were way off. Um, so just be careful what information you're looking at, especially if you're using that to make investments. I don't want to see you guys lose a bunch of money because you're listening to people that um, might mislead you, even if it's accidental. Alright, so speaking of silvers, collectors had already been calling the prism-based refractors silvers, but 2015 was the first year Panini embraced it and it became the official name for them. Um, That's why you won't see them on graded slabs for the prism releases before though. Most of them should say Prism Prisms, but everyone calls them Prism Silver. I mean, it's it's not a bad thing if you call them Prism Silvers, right? Everyone knows what you're talking about. Um, There were several new releases for the 2015 season, one of which was Revolution. I talked about that some in episode 44, but that was a throwback to an old Pacific product. Um, Panini had since acquired the intellectual rights for now, so um, they could bring that back. I believe that came out around March... Before I move past the summer of 2016, I do want to mention a weird fad, for lack of a better term, that occurred during this time. Um, Fad might be too innocent of a term, but I'm not going to go into too much detail here. But for some reason or another, it was around this time that a movement of people decided that they had to have high-grade Michael Jordan base cards from the junk wax era, specifically between 1989 and 1991. Well, that was music to a lot of people's ears because after all, this was junk wax stuff and it was easy to get. So you had a lot of people submitting those cards for grading and moving them. Um, those five and $10 boxes, you know, they just rotted at, at shows every month, right? Well, now they shot up in price for a short while because it was financially worthwhile to chase these cards because they were easy to get and then grade them, um, It was a strange little cycle that eventually died down because so many people were doing just that, and the market got flooded. There were only so many true buyers. And the whole thing seemed kind of fishy to me. Uh, Before I move on, I want to pull a quote from a Blowout Forums poster from July of 2016 because I think it sums up the whole situation pretty well. This person said, I spent $1,800 on 1991-92 Fleer Wax in the past three weeks looking for Jordans to send in. I think by the time I get mine back from PSA, they will be around $100 each. I am not a smart man, but it was fun, end quote. Um, So at least he had a good sense of humor about it. Um, I'm not going to add much to that. All I'm going to say is history has a way of repeating itself. And I don't mean that Jordan cards are going to, Jordan base cards are going to come back again in full force. What I mean is, you know, watch the patterns and watch kind of some of the trends that happen with cards and it could happen with other cards. So please be careful. All right. I'm going to skip over quite a few products, but there was one final 2015, 2016 set worth mentioning. And this was released several months into the 2016 season. It was called Panini Replay. And this product contains three cards per box, one of which was a new rookie card, and then the other two were encased autographed buyback cards. I use the term buyback loosely. A lot of it seemed to be leftover stock that they couldn't move in the reward store. Remember the reward store, that great idea they had? Um, Some of them were redemptions that had never been redeemed. Maybe the athlete returned them late. Uh, Some of them were replacements that had been set aside just in case they had damaged cards. Most of the cards I remember seeing were hand-numbered with red or green ink, which just looked really stupid. Um, Some of them had both machine stamping and hand-numbering with the same serial number. So overall, it was a mess. Um, Now, I don't want to bash every aspect of the product, though. One cool thing about it was that they had a handful of leftover Curry and Blake Griffin National Treasures RPAs that they added in. I know people don't consider those to be true RPAs, but... Um, they still feel like special cards to me that can probably be had for a fraction of the cost of an original. I don't know. I, you know, I don't know what one of those would go for on the open market right now. Um, but unfortunately, the amount of people pulling Curry or Blake RPAs was slim to none. I saw a lot of James Jones autographs. I saw probably a lot of Fat Leavers. I saw a lot of Roy Hibbert's That was the typical caliber of player. So in other words, people were getting murdered on these boxes and they weren't happy about it. Um, And if you wanna know how you know a product is truly awful, it's when a company promises to award customers with an additional set of a new product as a sort of peace offering. And that's exactly what Panini did with Replay. So I'm gonna read their press release real quick. Um, it says Panini America officials on Wednesday announced plans to create a special mosaic prism set for customers who purchased or will purchase the company's 2015, 2016 replay basketball product. In other words, replay was so bad that they had to find a way to save face and also move the remaining product. Uh, notice we've never seen a product like that since. Okay. Even the, the white box and the black box stuff, um, those are typically a lot better players. you know you're, they're not packing those out with scrubs. Okay. Um, so now 2016 was a very important year in the hobby. We've moved past replay. we you know we're done with that year. Um, we're into 2016, 2017. You need to understand what happened during this year, especially if you want to try and understand what's going on now. Because prior to the 2016 season, there were some aspects of the hobby that are very similar to what we have now. Um, You know, people were really big on RPAs. Now, some people might have preferred Flawless or Immaculate over National Treasures. Some people like the brand continuity of National Treasures going back to 2009. Either way, both of those camps would agree that RPAs are a really big deal. Um, Let's break that down even further you know, what does an RPA consist of? Well, you've got your rookie, you've got a patch from some type of material, be it player-worn or game-worn, and then, of course, you have the autograph. If this type of card is the top of the line, if that's what everyone is after, what happens if the card company can't get either the patches or the autographs? That seemed like a pretty stupid question until we were faced with just that situation in the summer of 2016. Because even though they didn't have a college license or a pro license, Upper Deck signed Ben Simmons, the number one draft pick, to a multi-year deal for autographed memorabilia and trading cards. Now, keep in mind, it's the rookies that move the products. So when all of this went down, my first line of thinking was, okay, maybe he can still be featured in an RPA set with a patch card. Um, He probably won't let Panini cut up any photo shoot jerseys, but if he plays in a game and those jerseys are auctioned on, you know, NBA online or, you know, the NBA auctions, they can purchase it just like anyone else. Um, They'd have to accumulate a lot of them throughout the season, but it was a possibility. Well, if the exclusive wasn't damaging enough for Panini, Simmons rolled his ankle and broke his foot um, before the season even started. And then missed the entire season. So they couldn't buy any game-worn jerseys because he wasn't going to be playing in any games. Um, So now there wouldn't be any autographs or relics for the number one draft pick. And um, I pulled a quote from Adam off the blowout forums around this time that I used in another episode. But I'll read it again here because I I think he represented what a number of collectors were hoping for when all of this transpired. He said, hopefully Panini can create an iconic Simmons Chromium card. Well, since Optic hadn't debuted yet, that wasn't going to be it. And then for whatever reason, people still weren't completely sold on Select. So that wasn't going to be it. Um, But thanks to a little momentum from the last couple of years and then the rookie campaign of of Carl Anthony Towns, 2016-2017 PRISM was as good a candidate as any. And as it turned out, this Simmons injury propelled PRISM, and more specifically, PRISM Silver, to a new status. And part of it was just necessity. Simply put, the collecting universe needed a chase. Um, I know some people really got into some of the flawless diamond cards but the problem with those was only a select number of people could own them. And that's why, um, that's part of why prism silvers were the perfect solution instead. To begin with, they were accessible. You could get them at hobby shops. You could get them at Walmart. That doesn't mean they were easy to pull, but it was a lot easier to get your hands on something um, like that than, say, you know immaculate or flawless. And at the same time, though, they were rare enough that there was a chase element to it the estimated print run for that year was between 600 and 800. Um keep in mind there weren't as many people, we didn't have all the baseball people and a lot of the newer collectors buying that product. So that was still a um a very limited run for us, but it was enough that you know a decent amount of people could get them. We're way beyond that now, but that was a big jump still that 6 to 800 from the first couple of years of Prism. So Prism took off. Um this whole time, Simmons was hurt. He still had plenty of cards that people were after, though. Um, I remember the the base card out of National Treasures was numbered to 99, and that was pretty popular because, you know, let's face it, what else were you going to chase? Um, Upper Deck made an autograph that was similar to the 2003 Exquisite design. That was very popular. Um, and Simmons wasn't the only guy that People were hunting at the time, even though he was the big deal and he really um, changed the way we look at Prism Silver. But there were other guys like Brandon Ingram and Jalen Brown, to name a couple. Um, Pascal Siakam was a nobody at this point. His cards took off quite a bit later. Um, You know, once again that year, it wasn't just, it wasn't all Prism, right? We had several new products. One of them was uh, Grand Reserve, which I think was a one and done. It turned into cornerstones the next year and eventually Grand Reserve as we know it pretty much fizzled out. Um, Another new product that I already mentioned came in April of 2017. That was the very first optic basketball set. And um, I really like the design of this set. I think mainly because my sister and I opened a lot of um, 1990 Donruss baseball as kids. And the design gives me a real 1990 Donruss vibe. Evan and I talked a little bit about the Optic preview inserts that were a part of the Donruss release earlier in the season. Most people didn't realize just how rare those were. And while I would say Optic was received fairly well, I wouldn't say it was anything close to what we're seeing now. But, um, you know, it was still a nice product. There's probably more to be said about the 2016-2017 season, but I have to move on. Um, it is worth noting that the NBA and Panini extended their relationship in the summer of 2017. The previous extension lasted five years. They didn't include a set timetable on this press release, um, you know, so people that kind of left people to assume, well, you know, maybe it would be the same amount of time. Shortly after that, we had the NBA draft, where Markel Fultz was the number one pick that year. Uh, people were very cautious about him, though. Lonzo Ball was number two. Uh, Jason Tatum was number three. People were very high on those two guys. The Ball family was in the news so much that Leaf even created cards for Lonzo's dad. Uh, I'm sure we'll see more of those in the coming year as well, depending on what happens with the draft. I remember Laurie Markinen got off to a pretty hot start, um, as did Donovan Mitchell. And Mitchell was a real big surprise scene as he was the 13th pick. Um... The Prism Silver momentum continued in 2017, and this was, of course, aided by the quality of the draft class. I don't think the optic design was all that great in 2017, and that might have stunted the the set's popularity a little bit, but that's just my opinion. Um, 2017 was also the first year for Chronicles. I, I felt like Panini was killing off some of the earlier sets that I liked, but... Um, that allowed them to live a little bit longer through this format. And that was sets like Brilliance and Gold Standard and Limited and Pinnacle. Um, as we moved throughout the year, there was a pretty big chase for the National treasures logo man of Jason Tatum. Some of this was fueled by blowout because they put out a, a bounty on the card. And I think it started at $50,000. I know it eventually got up to $90,000, maybe even higher. But I do remember seeing the $90,000 flyer. Uh, This was smart on their part because it helped them to push the product and it provided an extra incentive for people to break cases with them. Um, You know, there was still a time where not everything sold out immediately, right? And that wasn't all that long ago. Um, And then the last thing I want to say about 2017 before I move on, I think this was the first year where it kind of sank in that, uh, man, these guys are being forced to sign a lot of stickers and cards and it was hard to keep up. I know a lot of the Mitchell autos towards the end of the season were redemptions. I think someone on blowout did the math, and a lot of the top guys had to sign somewhere in the range of 10,000 signatures. That's part of why we saw Donovan Mitchell's autograph really deteriorate into a series of scribbles over the course of the year. There was also some early speculation that Lonzo Ball was having someone else sign some of his cards, but nothing was confirmed. In his case, I think it might have actually been that his signature was just changing rapidly over the course of the year. Imagine signing your name 10,000 times. But we'll touch more on another signature controversy here in a moment. I'm sure you know most of you guys know which one I'm referring to. But uh, So I figure that's a great way to segue into the 2018-2019 season, which I've talked quite a bit about that season and the current season over the last year, so I'm not going to rehash a lot of it in detail. I just want to touch on the big stuff. In 2018, Aiton and Bagley went one and two, but the year quickly became the Luca and Trey show. We also saw a a bit of a sophomore slump from Tatum and Mitchell, so I think that influenced things as well. Um, With that being said, they were hits, but things were still seemingly under control. I remember buying a Luca Prism rookie at a card show for uh, ten dollars, flipping it the same day for fifteen, and being happy with the the result of my work. Right, I think I sold a PSA nine for twenty dollars at some point that I I got. You know, I I think I encouraged a friend to sell his graded Luca Silver for the going rate at the time, which in retrospect was pretty low. You know, all of those things seem crazy now, but. All of those moves could easily be defended. They were all reasonable decisions then, and I don't regret any of it. It's just things really escalated in the last year. Things really blew up. Um, Now, there was some controversial stuff happening during the 2018-2019 season, some involving cards from previous years, others involving current stuff. We had the uh, 1990 Hoops Menendez Brothers card that had an unexpected rise, right? Um, It seems strange that that card existed for so long and nobody really pointed it out or made much of a deal of it. Um, I talked about that in episode 23, but that made for a couple fun weeks of trying to hunt those down. Um, Around the same time, a lot of alterations were coming to light with some of the big RPAs. You had the, there was a big scandal with a, a LeBron exquisite specifically, and then that kind of caused everyone to look at okay, well, what else is happening, right? That was kind of the one event that triggered everything else. You can hear about that in episode 17 and 18. Um, also, as far as current cards go, there was a lot of speculation that someone else was signing some of Luca's cards, which a lot of people thought it was his mother, right? We never really got any resolution to that. I talked about that in episode uh, 14. Well, then spring of 2019 rolled around and things just got weird. The LeBron Silver craze was already in full effect. I think it was also affecting our perceptions of other cards. In March, we started buying packs of underwear and undershirts to get new Hanes-themed Fleer Michael Jordan cards. I think I even saw people razzing those packs at one point. I, and I haven't mentioned razzing in this whole history, but that's something that got pretty popular in this time frame. It was basically gambling on spots for a chance to win a specific card. And this was all happening on social media. The card scene on social media was pretty big by this point, but still growing. Um, the next month in, in April, Gary Vee kind of came onto the scene and we started to see an influx of new people in the hobby There were a lot of people that were talking about the difference between investors and collectors. Um, Gary revealed that he had been buying up Giannis Prism base cards. Well, uh, Giannis had a great season. When you combine that with the growing Prism craze and then Gary's comments, well, prices surged. And we really didn't have Prism rookies that exceeded $50, at least raw rookies at that point, Uh, not on a regular basis. And even at this time, you could still grab Luka at a reasonable price. But um, as the year went on and the summer went on, um, even without basketball, Luka cards continued to be a major draw. I've talked about it before, but they were the main driving point in an otherwise lackluster National Treasures product. Um, the Optic versus Prism debate that had kind of been slowly building for a couple of years, it raged on. A lot of this was fueled by the fact that LeBron's Prism card was still in a Cavs uniform. Um, things were slow at first, but the Optic Silvers really took off because people considered that to be quote-unquote LeBron's Lakers rookie card, which is a weird concept to even think about. But um, you know, there were a lot of people that thought there was some kind of manipulation happening. There are others that seemed to genuinely want the card. I'm not going to weigh in there. Um, Luca and Trey silver prices really took off as we prepared for the 2019 season. That includes Prism and Optic. And then for the onslaught of, of Zion cards that was coming our way, um, people started hoarding retail. And then Luca started the 2019 season at a feverish pace. And everything that I just described that had already happened um, intensified. So you had people buying up everything 2018, 2019, they could get their hands on. A lot of these people were stashing it away for investment purposes. Um, You know, the 2019, 2020 stuff was predictably popular, even with Zion hurt to start the season. John Moran has looked really good and helped keep things afloat um, in addition to the Zion anticipation. So the majority of you have lived and collected through the rest. There's really not much more here to add. Um, Prices skyrocketed prism came out and people were buying out entire displays when they couldn't find prism They started buying hoops and some of the other stuff. Whatever was left of that Optic came out over Thanksgiving break and the chaos continued Um, It's near impossible to find anything. The only thing I can find in stores right now are stickers and then people are grading base cards in record numbers so Um, Zion finally had his on court debut. He was incredible. Right. And here we were bracing ourselves for the rest of this wild ride in the hobby. And something happened that we couldn't have dreamed up. That's all the coronavirus stuff. And that brings us to today. All right. Um, so there you have it. That was a lot of stuff. Yeah. I feel like a short amount of time, but I look here, I'm pushing at 48 minutes already. Um, I'm not going to try and predict anything that's going to happen from here on out. Like I said in the intro, I plan to have Justin, aka 610 Sports Cards, on next week. We're going to chat some about the state of the hobby. Um, there was a lot of stuff to cover in this episode. I figure I missed some key events. I know there were some pricing trends that I didn't get to t- um, talk much about. For the most part, I stayed away from market stuff. You know, I didn't talk much about Curry cards and what all was going on there. Um, I know there was a lot of movement on Jordan rookies during this time. There's just so much stuff that I could have covered. I probably could have split this into another two parts, but I just couldn't do it. I wanted to finally finish this series. And um, now I'd like to hear from you guys. Is there a particular moment from this time period that sticks out in your mind? Um, Do you like the direction that basketball card history has taken? Uh, was there anything big that you think I missed? Let me know on my Instagram, which is at Wax Museum Podcast, or my Twitter, which is at Wax Museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store, tag Taco Bell, and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.